Hey friends, I'm Jess Connolly. I'm an author, a coach, a Bible teacher, and a local church leader. And I love talking to real people who know what it means to have full lives, but also want to walk in abundance. This podcast is for you. It's not my podcast, it's ours. It's for people who crave lighthearted conversations and deeply spiritual truth. It's for people who are busy, tired, waiting, growing, dreaming, working, or praying about what's next. Wherever you're listening from, if it's quiet, mundane, or busy, I am praying for you and I'm so glad you're here. Let's go. Do you ever feel like a mess? I do. The thing is, I don't think many women feel put together. I don't think many women feel like they know what they're doing or like their ducks are in a row. I think most of us walk into our days convinced that we missed some important lesson along the way. Have you ever wondered how the other moms at drop-off managed to get dressed up so cute or how the women you know at your Bible study seem to handle full-time jobs and bringing homemade treats? Maybe you feel shame because you remember your mom always making her bed or you feel like the only college student who doesn't know what she's doing when she graduates. You might think that everyone else has it figured out, but the truth is we all have little pieces of our lives that look messy and our culture rewards women for pretending like that's not true. We already covered the immense pressure we're under from society in last week's episode. So today we're going to get really practical. What do you do if you feel like a mess? And what can you do right now that will help you feel less scattered overwhelmed, and shameful about how to handle it. If you don't feel like a mess today, you might tomorrow. So this episode is for all of us. Before we get into it, I'm going to do a quick little Q&A session because I've mentioned a few times on the podcast that I've started seminary and I shared on social media last week, listen, it's my first week of seminary. I'm so pumped. And y'all had such amazing questions about the program I'm doing. So I want to just pause right here before we get into talking about feeling like a mess. And I want to answer a few of your questions. First up, I told you guys on social media that I have wanted to go to seminary for 20 years. It's been a long-standing God dream, and a lot of you were like, okay, well, then why didn't you go 20 years ago? Talk about that and talk about why you wanted to go. So without getting super into the weeds, here's my story. I met Jesus at 15. The day after I met him, I started diving into the Word. I was obsessed with the Bible, and that really never went away. For the next few years, from about 15 to 18, I was really processing the call on my life and really kind of immediately knew I feel called to ministry of some kind. By the time I was 18, I was already teaching in churches and I knew I love doing this. I love teaching the word. And so to me, after college, it felt like a really natural progression to go to seminary, get Bible training and be ready to teach. The short story is... After I graduated college, I entered into a season of extreme defeat, specifically regarding my calling. I started to encounter some really intense sexism in the church, within ministry, etc. And I was just dealing with a lot of personal discouragement about what I could do or what I was equipped to do. And so I didn't even ever entertain it after that. My husband ended up going to seminary in our early 20s. I loved learning from what he was learning. I loved hearing his notes. I kind of just took it off the shelf as a possibility for me. I just thought like, oh, a wife and a mom, and that's what I need to be. 
and I can just study the Bible as a civilian and that'll be great. And here's what I want to say about kind of the beauty that came out of that resignation. It served me a ton because I did not feel like deeper study of the Bible was off limits to me. I just felt like I need to go at it alone. And I used every resource I could, whether it was Bible studies or online tools or Bible study softwares. I never felt like studying the Bible wasn't what I wanted to do. I just felt like, okay, maybe I won't go get a degree to learn how to study the Bible better. And I really didn't think about it a ton. And so over the years, as I've talked about dreams or goals or ideas, or even as other friends have gone to seminary, I've thought like, oh, that would be fun one day. I really don't know when I would ever have the time for it. Even after I started writing books, I remember thinking like, how in the world would I get out of the rhythm of writing books long enough to go to school? Because I know that going to seminary is a lot of reading and it's a lot of writing papers. So I was like, I'm kind of on a track to write a book every two to three years, if not faster than that. So I really just didn't know when or how it would happen for me. I put it on this shelf until like maybe in my 50s or 60s, it'll be fun. And what shifted that is that last spring, spring 2023, so actually this spring, someone came to me. It was actually Jamie Ivey, fellow podcaster, Bible teacher, book writer. She came to me and she said, hey, Denver Seminary is putting together a women's cohort for women who want to go to seminary to get their master's of biblical studies. And she said, it's going to be an all-female cohort. We'll all go to class together. A lot of us are Bible teachers. A lot of us are authors. We're all in leadership in some capacity. So we're all going to really understand each other's lives. We're going to actually slow down what should be a two-year program. We're going to do it in three years. We can take our time and still meet our deadlines and still do our life and still do our calling. Are you interested? And I remember thinking immediately, I was so flattered and thinking like, but I can't, I definitely, I just don't have the time. I don't have the margin. And I felt a little bit of FOMO, like, oh, it sounds like such a great crew of women. I would love to go, but this isn't the time. And I think I was honestly just having a conversation with my husband where he was like, when are you going to have the time? When is it going to change? When is your book writing schedule going to be able to take a long pause? When are you going to feel like you can't? When are you going to feel like you don't have to be present in our church or in ministry or with our kids? That time really isn't coming. So what if we make the time? So I kind of just started taking the steps. I went ahead and applied mostly as a prayer to seminary. Just, okay, I'll fill out the application. I'll see if I can get the referrals. I honestly... Y'all, I really didn't know if I could get in. I did finish my college degree in religious studies, but I didn't really remember what my grades were. So when it came time to like get my transcript and send it to seminary, I was like, I don't know, maybe I won't get in. I haven't done any higher ed for the last 20 years. And of course, it was just a really gracious process and they walked us through it. And so by the time I applied, I was hoping that maybe we could make it work, but I didn't really understand how we would. And then really, honestly, what shifted it for me was the day I got in. I got a call while I was on a run and it was from Denver Seminary and I had pushed it into a voicemail because I didn't know who it was. And I stopped my run and I listened to the voicemail and they said, hey, Jess, we're just so happy to let you know you've been accepted into this women's cohort program you let us know if you want to accept the spot. And as soon as I got that call and heard the yes, there was no turning back because I was so excited and I knew I just needed to follow that feeling. So 
what the cohort is, a lot of you guys ask, like, what is the cohort and why did you choose Denver? And for me, the answer is really one and the same. As soon as I heard about the cohort, I got really excited because it's a group of women. It's a women's leadership cohort. And we're actually going to put a link in the show notes if you're interested in joining the Denver Seminary Women's Leadership Cohort because they are starting a new round in the spring that you can apply for. But when I heard about it, that is mostly what drew me to Denver because what I've heard historically from friends who are female who go to seminary is that it's not always a safe place for us, especially if you're a woman who teaches the Bible or who pastors in any capacity or who writes books. Depending on the seminary and depending on the culture that you're in, you may be kind of told constantly throughout, specifically probably by other students that you shouldn't be teaching. And while I respect the way everybody interprets the Bible and how they go after God, I don't want to continually consent to being in atmospheres where people tell me that I'm not allowed to do what I believe God's called me to do. It just doesn't feel super safe for me. And so the idea of getting to go through with a bunch of women who already do what I do, who I don't have to justify or explain This is what I believe God's called me to. This is where I believe it's not only justified, but invited in his word. Knowing I wouldn't even have to overcome that felt like such a win. And then when I looked into the specific books and the curriculum that we'd be going through in this master's program, I just knew Denver was it for me. It felt so diverse. It felt so open and expansive and generous. And I have to say just a few weeks in, I have no doubt this is the place I was supposed to be in. So that's a little bit about the cohort. We do go to classes together for three years and already I'm one week of classes in already having a team of women who understand the pressure we're under, but also the joy of what we're learning and who are speaking life over each other is incredible. It's been wildly helpful. It's been wildly life-giving. So a lot of questions were surrounding what is the degree and how will I use it? So the most honest answer is the degree is in master's in biblical studies. I do have in my mind that I could potentially keep going after this. The degree after that is the master's of divinity. It's it's kind of like before you get your doctorate, it's the last step on the pipeline from what I understand. It's what a lot of pastors go get when they go to seminary. And the difference between biblical studies and MDiv is a lot more classes, but it's also a lot more language classes, Greek and Hebrew, which is really, really, really what I'm interested in. So I'm kind of telling myself like, hey, if you want to get your master's in biblical studies and then keep going for the MDiv, you can. But if you can't, that's okay too. How will I use it? And really, I want to kind of answer like what will change after this. So I had a lot of just really like humble and honest questions like, will this mean you're a pastor? It will not. Pastor, the title or the commissioning to be a pastor usually and typically comes from your home church when you get ordained from your home church. I'm actually not technically ordained at Bright City, even though I lead as a pastor. A lot of people within our church call me pastor, but I'm not actually ordained. And the reason that I'm not ordained is because we are a small, young church. Actually, I'm trying to start saying we're a young church, not a small church, because whatever size is up to God and our impact is not small. But we're a young church, and we have actually not ordained anybody in our church body at all yet. So Nick is ordained. He was ordained by another church years ago. 
but we've been developing an ordination process to take a group of people through to say like, hey, we see this call of pastor on your life. And that's why we're just kind of taking our time. And I want to go through it with that first group of people. So you can teach if you're not a pastor in our church. You can lead if you're not a pastor in our church. You can pastor and shepherd people without that title. And I believe words matter. And I do believe that one day I'll be ordained. But I also believe that I get to use my gifts, whether people call me that or not. And so I don't get hung up on that. But all that being said, going to seminary doesn't make you a pastor. Ordination makes you a pastor. So that won't shift. I run my own business and I write books and I do ministry online. So a lot of people have asked, like, will you get paid more? Will you get a pay bump? And the answer to that is no, because I run my own business. So unless I was like, well, that's it. I got my master's. I'm paying myself more. I don't think that will actually happen. And I actually don't perceive that anyone that I do ministry with will be like, well, now I trust you more. I don't think my book readers will be like, well, now we want to read Jess's book books more because she has her master's. I could be wrong, but I don't think y'all are like that. I don't think you'll want to, you'll feel like you can listen to my podcast once you know that I have a master's. So that being said, outwardly, is it going to change a lot? No. I think what is going to be the biggest shift for me is inward. I'm just really hoping, and now I'll kind of lead into the question of like, what am I hoping to get out of it? Genuinely, my biggest hope is to get a better handle on how to study and teach God's word. And the kind of subtext beneath that is I want to fall more deeply in love with God's word. I want to know more about God because I want to know God more. I don't want to know more about God so I can stand on top of knowledge and sit on top of intellect and tell other people that they're wrong. I don't want to know a lot of things just to know a lot of things. I just want to know the heart of God better. And I want to kind of constantly, as best as I can, get back to 15-year-old Jess, who was obsessed with studying the Bible. And I want to be as equipped as possible for that. Moving on, how online seminary works right now for me, I do a lot of asynchronous study, which means I watch a lot of videos. I do a lot of reading right now. My current schedule is I need to read about 30 to 40 pages a day to stay on top of my required reading for this degree. So that's the biggest undertaking. But I also watch a lot of videos and lectures. And then once a week, I go to a three-hour online class with my cohort where we get taught and we take notes and we ask questions and we share our thoughts. Once a year for the next two years, I'll go to Denver for a week to do one in-person class for a week each summer, and I'll meet my cohort there for that. Okay, good reasons and bad reasons to go to seminary. This is just my hot take. Again, I haven't been through the entire degree. I've been through about a week of it, but this is my perspective on it. Good reasons to go are because you want to use your gifts more effectively because you want to love God more, because you want to understand his word better. I would say bad reasons to go is because you want other people to respect you more, because you think it will make you more equipped. I personally, what I would call a negative reason that I'm really trying to fight is fear. So I've noticed that there's a lot of fear for some of us in getting training, like I just don't want to do this wrong, or I just don't want to mess up, or I just don't want to say the wrong thing about God. And the reason why I would say that that's not a super helpful motivation is because at the end of my seminary experience, I fully expect that I'm going to still have a lot of things wrong in my head. <laughs> And that I'm still going to say a lot of things wrong. And when I write a book, I know that maybe even by the time it comes out, there might be a line or two that I don't even really agree with anymore. 
because the aim of my life and the goal of my life is not to be completely right all the time. It's just not possible. It's an unhealthy and unhelpful expectation because it's not one we can live up to. So I'm kind of trying to crash that fear in my own life. Moving into other questions you guys had, what's going to be difficult about it? I don't know if you heard me just say the 30 pages a day. That's going to be the most difficult for me. There's a lot of paper writing included in my degree, and I haven't had to write a paper yet. So my hope, I'll give you a little check-in later in the year maybe, but my hope is that because writing comes really natural to me, that that will be easier than I would then maybe say like test-taking or even maybe some of the reading I kind of think and process through writing. So it's going to be really interesting. I'm not writing a book this fall. I'm probably not writing a book next spring, but I would say probably by next fall and by the following spring, I'll be back into book writing again. And it'll be really interesting to see how it is writing papers and writing a book at the same time. And in light of that, how I plan to make it work. A lot of you ask just the number one question, what are you giving up to do this? And the answer is vast. I've actually touched on this a tiny bit in the podcast, Don't Be Scared of the Fall that Nick and I did. So for me, here are a couple of things that I'm giving up. I had to give up what I call Jess's gym, where I lead a workout with my friends every week. That's just one hour a week, but it was one hour a week that took a little bit of prep and a couple hours of my life. And for me, it wasn't just a logistical no, like, okay, I can't do that anymore. It was also kind of a symbolic no, like these are not things I can do. Parts of my life where I'm like, oh, I'll just do this to be fun or to help other people. If it's not my explicit job or explicitly what I'm called to, I'm saying no to it in this season. I'm also giving up casual TV watching with some caveats. I'm still going to watch West Wing in the shower and I still am watching a show every night with my husband, but I am trying to give up any other like casual TV watching. This is an example. Like I used to watch Netflix with my headphones on while while I folded laundry. Now I'm watching lectures with my headphones on while I'm folding laundry. So that's like another small thing. Again, these all kind of sound small, but there are some other big shifts too. The biggest thing is I just had to readjust my schedule. And the biggest shift I had to make in my schedule is that now in my house from 4 p.m. to 6 p.m., Every night is homework hour for everybody. So my kids are doing their homework. I'm doing my homework. My husband actually got do not disturb signs to put on our bedroom door so that our kids would understand like, hey, mom is studying for two hours. She really needs to dig in and read right here. But that four to six o'clock homework hour also means that I can't just go casually go for an afternoon workout or I can't go meet a friend for coffee as easily as I could have in the past. One or two of you asked like, hey, I know your kids are a little bit older. What if my kids are younger? How would I make this work? And I would say like, while the things that I'm giving up aren't explicit and aren't going to transfer to everybody, no matter whether we're talking about grad school or you taking on a volunteer opportunity or you digging into some new part of your calling or developing some relationship, whatever it is, if you're trying to add something new to your life, whether you have little kids or big kids or no kids or you're married or you're single or you have three roommates or you live at home with your parents. We all have to get a little creative to do our best to say like, what's in here that God hasn't asked me to do? And good news, we're going to talk a little bit about that in this episode. So that is my quick and dirty rundown at the very beginning of seminary. Thank you guys for caring so much and all your encouragement. I will absolutely be checking in and you might hear me some on some episodes be like, oh my gosh, I had a huge paper due this week. 
I don't know. We'll see, but I'll keep checking in. Mostly, I'm just really, really, really excited. And I want to end this quick discussion saying the biggest thing that's been really helpful for me and that I pray that this might be encouraging, whether you find yourself in a similar season or not, is remembering and reciting this is a dream. So I'm not trying to gaslight myself and pretend like it's not hard. It's really difficult. There's going to be parts of it that are really difficult. I actually shared on social media, I've cried already a couple of times. Like I've cried feeling overwhelmed about not having adequate intellect to take this project on. I cried reading my syllabus when I didn't understand a couple of the words. I realized I had misread my reading schedule at one point and found out I had like a book and a half to read over one weekend and felt really overwhelmed and cried. And I'm a week and some change in. I've cried some tears already. But so even when I feel the stress or I feel the overwhelm of it, then I have to remember this is a huge privilege. This is a huge gift. And this is a dream. And so again, I'm not trying to talk myself out of the feelings of stress or overwhelm, but I am trying to remember the bigger picture and let myself enjoy it and let myself say it was great. So even yesterday was my first day of classes and I had a lot of friends say, how was it? How was it? How was it? And so I just watched my words really carefully. And instead of saying like, oh, it was overwhelming or like, oh, it was a little bit of a stressful day. I said it was honestly a dream because it was. And when I let myself feel that the joy really rises up. Now let's get into our episode If you're feeling like a mess or if you felt like a mess ever, or if you might in the future, this is for you. Okay, friends, before we actually get into this episode again, I want to just give you a tiny disclaimer. So I'm actually recording this after I recorded the entire episode on what to do if you feel like a mess. And here's why. I had a moment after I recorded this episode where I felt like a mess. And I felt really tender. And I actually went to someone for help. I went to them tender and I felt like they met me with a lot of toughness. And I just felt a little like jarred in my soul about it. And it shifted me a little bit. And it made me want to come back to this episode and give you a tiny disclaimer to say, if you hit play on this episode because you feel like a mess today, what is going to follow is going to be a lot of strategic and logistical ideas for you. But I want you to know that. We often just feel like a mess because we need Jesus and we need the gospel and no amount of rhythms and no amount of strategy is going to fix that for us. And I wanted you to hear my voice say, I often feel this way too. So I'm going to tell you some strategy and I'm going to tell you some ideas and I'm going to tell you some logistical things, but I want you to hear me saying, I'm in this with you and I get it and I feel it too and I love you. And now I'll let you get back to the episode. All right. So true story. I hadn't decided whether or not I was going to share this story with you guys, but you know what? It's the Jess Connolly podcast and we just need to be, we need to be as honest as we can. Okay. No fluff here. My nickname growing up was Messy Jesse. It is what everyone called me. And the truth is I came by it honest. I was a messy kid. I was a messy teen. I was a messy adolescence. I was very messy in college. And I don't just mean that I was untidy. I would say I was I was very untidy, which thank God that you can change because something probably about me being married to Nick Connolly has made me a lot tidier just in a physical sense. 
But I would say I was also messy philosophically and socially. And some of that, I would say, stays true to this day. My emotions would run over sometimes. I don't really have a filter. If I'm frustrated or sad or scared or discouraged, you are not going to be confused about any of those things. And it took me until actually my first round of therapy, which if you haven't listened to Why Am I Like This, our episode, actually the episode is called You Might Need Therapy with Kobe Campbell. If you haven't listened to that, I would highly suggest it. It was about two weeks ago. But during my very first round of therapy, I remember sitting with my counselor in the thick of postpartum depression. And I kept coming back to this one phrase over and over again. I kept saying, I feel like a mess. I feel like a mess. I feel like a mess. And it took her kind of digging in and poking and really asking a lot of questions for me to even remember, like, that was actually my nickname. It was actually this kind of like part of my identity for a long time. And it took me a while to really unroot why that felt like it hit me so hard and also why it wasn't true from a kingdom perspective. Why it wasn't true that me being who God made me to be, that me showing up with my emotions, with my feelings, with my thoughts, wasn't messy. That me feeling overwhelmed with life or me feeling stressed when I encountered a stressful situation, it took me a long time to realize like that's not messy, that's human. And so I want to speak right to you today, and I have just kind of five tips for you if you feel like a mess or when you feel like a mess. And the first one is this. When you feel like a mess, it's because we have been sold and taught an ideal version of womanhood that's unhelpful and unrealistic. That's actually not your fault. That's an idea that was put on you, that was placed before you. But my counter question to you today is, does that sound like your father? I think for so many of us, there is this ideal womanhood that she is put together. She doesn't emote. She doesn't feel stressed. She doesn't feel overwhelmed. She shows up ready and capable at all times. She meets everybody else's needs while not having needs of her own. And while we covered a lot of kind of this existential pressure in last week's episode, What Am I Made For?, where we talk about the Barbie movie, I want to really kind of, again, give some practical handlebars to help us move forward. And the most practical handlebar, the most practical tool I can give you right now if you're feeling like a mess is this. You have to break ties with that idea. And that's hard for each of us. That means each of us saying, I'm actually not going to keep comparing myself to this ideal version of myself that isn't coming. We're comparing ourselves to our mothers who didn't have the same pressures on us that we do right now. We're comparing ourselves to our own past selves, our capacities from past seasons or our successes from past seasons. We're comparing ourselves to other women who, number one, actually feel messy on the inside, and number two, may have relief or help or less responsibilities in ways that we can't see. We really have to understand that everybody else is living their own complex story where they're showing up and fighting hard and doing what they can and still feeling messy. So my number one tip, my number one tool for you when you feel like a mess is ask, did God ask me to live some kind of tidy, ideal version of motherhood? 
I don't think he did. So you can't be a mess if God is not asking you to be tidy. Number two, I'm so sorry. I'm sorry about what I'm about to tell you. I'm apologizing on the front end, but we need to have less on our plates. If you feel like a mess, it's probably because at some point along the way, you may have overcommitted. You may have said yes to too many things. And the reason why I can say this so explicitly and so specifically to you is because I actually believe that we are all in a state of having too much on our plates. I think it is so beautiful and so loving when we get to say yes to what God calls us to, when we get to say yes to helping and serving other people. But I think most of us have grown way more accustomed to saying yes than we have to saying no. I think we feel deep shame about saying no. I think we feel pride towards other women when they say no. I think that we say yes to things we know we can't do. And I think we say yes to things we really want to be able to do, but we don't have the margin to do. So that being said, If and when you find yourself feeling like a mess, the question to ask is, is there anything I can take off my plate? Is there anything I can even just take off my mental plate? Something that I'm thinking about or stressing about or worrying about that nobody actually asked me to. And here's the caveat. If you're like, Jess, you don't understand. There is nothing I can take off my plate right now. And I still feel like a mess. I hear you. I would agree. Actually, I'm a person who coaches myself extensively. I ask a lot of hard questions about what's on my plate and what I can do and what I can't do. And I would tell you right now, there's nothing I can take off my plate. Everything I've said yes to, I do believe God's asked me to say yes to. And or I am actively working to get it off my plate and raising up or training or inviting someone else to do it for me. But if you cannot take something off your plate right now, can you remember this feeling for a future season so that in the next phase of your life, whether it's a month from now or a year from now or two years from now, you can remember this feeling and say yes to less and therefore potentially feel less like you're showing up in a messy way. All right, number three, I know, I know. I know I'm a broken record, you guys. I can't stop myself. And to be honest, a little bit, I feel like God's call in my life is to keep saying simple things over and over and over again until women do them and feel relief. So just love me, okay? Remember that you like me. You need rhythms in your life. I know you've heard me say it before. I know I'm just eating the rhythm drums, but today I wanna talk about it in the most simple way. The thing is, this is the thing about feeling like a mess. Number one, we've already captured like, okay, this is a lie from the enemy that women need to be tidy. So we're crashing this expectation. Number two, hey, maybe if we feel like a mess, it's because we have too much on our plate. We're going to take some things off our plate. But number three, a lot of why we often feel like a mess is because we just can't be, we don't feel present to our own lives. We don't feel awake. We don't feel like we know what's happening. We don't feel like we have our mental or emotional selves wrapped around what's going on in the present. And the beauty about rhythms, this is both scientific and biblical. The beauty about rhythms is that it gives our mind certain things that we don't have to think about anymore. And so when you develop a rhythm that works for you, it takes a lot of energy out of you just living your every single day life. So I would honestly say if you're someone who constantly feels like a mess, 
if that's a feeling you have or you constantly feel overwhelmed or you constantly feel stressed, or you constantly feel like you don't have your ducks in a row, I would say there's a lot of rhythms you can develop. I talk to women all the time who will tell me, for example, that they don't have a grocery shopping rhythm. They're like, oh, I just realized I need to go to the grocery store today. And I'm like, oh, you don't have a day you do your grocery shopping? And they'll be like, no, I just go when I realize we need something. And I'm like, oh man, I can't imagine. I literally can't imagine. I would feel like a mess every single day. A grocery shopping rhythm tells me I know exactly what I'm doing this every week. I know the things I need. I know the like types of food that we eat. I know that on a random Thursday, we're not gonna not have something for dinner. And that helps me. So that's a small example. But there's four rhythms that you guys, I'll talk about it till I'm blue in the face until every woman I know says, I have those four rhythms <laughs> because I don't think that these four are ones that anyone should sleep on. So number one, you need a morning rhythm. You need a set of actions that you do every day that helps you feel awake and alive and ready for the day. In just a second, I'm going to actually talk you through my incredibly unspiritual unspecial morning routine. So I can even take all the mystery out of it and I can tell you exactly what I do. You need a nighttime routine. I would actually say, I think your nighttime routine is more important than your morning routine because when God made the earth, he made evening and then morning the first day. And the way that we go to sleep is directly related to the way that we wake up and show up for our day. And so I find a lot of people might have a morning routine, but they rarely have a nighttime routine. And I would say the way you show up for your rest is the way you're going to show up for your work. It's the way you're going to show up for your mission. And so I find a lot of us, what we do instead is we work, 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 live, 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 collapse and go to bed. And instead, if we have a nighttime routine, our bodies will feel ready for rest. Our minds will know it's time for rest. If you have a hard time sleeping, this is absolutely for you. I'll also walk you through my very unspecial nighttime routine. Number three, you need a gratitude rhythm. Again, you guys, I'm so sorry. I just am going to keep telling you over and over again. Here's what I notice about saying we need a gratitude rhythm. I notice that if I'm in a group of women or if I'm teaching on a stage and I say, you need a gratitude rhythm, we all need a gratitude rhythm. Everybody nods in agreement. They're like, yes, I want to be a grateful. Yes, we, everybody should have a gratitude rhythm. But I find that very few people have one in actuality. It's something we nod at and it's not something we often do literally. Here's how I do it. It's very simple. It's a part of my morning routine, which I'm about to share with you. The very first thing I do after I get my coffee is I open up my physical journal. I write the date and I write the word gratitude and I make myself list at least five things I'm grateful for. This has drastically changed my life. Every single day, it's how I start my day. It makes me want to watch and see how God is moving. It reminds me to fight discontentment and bitterness. It reminds me of Psalm 16, 6, that the boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. It helps me even access the things that are not going well so I know how to pray for them. But we need a gratitude rhythm. And if we feel like a mess, this is one of the fastest ways to fight the enemy's lies in our lives. Number four, again, think this is another one that we kind of nod along at, but I think that every woman in every season needs a planning rhythm. So when and how do you determine how you're going to do what it is that you're called to do? When are you going to work? When are you going to hang out with friends? When are you going to use your gifts and your calling? 
When are you going to have margin? When are you going to shower? (laughs) When are you going to do those things? And the alternate question to that is if you don't have those rhythms, how hard is it to kind of show up every day and feel fluid about everything? Like, well, we'll see when it happens. We'll see how we get there. You'll probably end up getting a lot of it done. You just might not feel present for it. You just might not feel awake and capable and sure about where the day is going. Now, does the plan go right? A hundred percent. Does that mean that we don't plan? No, because it's helpful to also, even led by Holy Spirit, to get with God and say, hey, what does this day look like? What do you want it to look like? How do you want to speak into this? So I want to just really quickly talk about my morning routine. And the reason why is because I see a lot of things on reels or TikToks or Pinterest about like, here's my morning routine. And they're always to me so whitewashed and tidy that they actually make me feel like a mess. And the thing is, I tend to not believe those morning routines. I think they're faking it. (laughs) I think that they're setting up a camera and the actual thing is like maybe a little bit messier. So I want to tell you about my messy morning routine. I want to tell you I've actually sometimes thought I should video this, but it's too disingenuous. If I videoed it, I'd be faking it. So it's, I'm not doing that. So I'm just going to tell you what my morning routine is. My alarm goes off. I turn my alarm off and I lay in bed for about three minutes. I do not immediately get up. I try to quietly, if Nick is still in bed, he's usually not during the school year. He's already up. But if he is, I try to quietly get up. I yank my blanket from underneath the bed because I have a blanket that I carry everywhere with me like an emotional support animal. And I get my blanket and I put my rope on where I keep it in the exact same spot every single night. I take my retainers out. I put on my glasses. All of this is on my bedside table. And I walk out to the living room where I leave my blanket for me. The night before I have left my journal and my iPad in that spot waiting for me. So my iPad is charging and my journal is there with my pen. Fun fact, if the pen isn't there, forget it. I'm not, I can't find it this morning. I can't can't do that. I need the journal and the pen waiting for me. I walk to the kitchen. I start the coffee maker. I make coffee in my exact same mug that I drink out of every morning because I'm a woman who loves rhythms. And this is one less thing I have to think about in the morning. While my coffee is brewing, I go to the restroom. Is this TMI? I'm so sorry. I'm just trying to give you the real deal. By the time my coffee cup is filled and I'm back from the bathroom, I grab my mug. I go sit down with my blanket and my journal. As I have previously mentioned, I open my journal. I write the date. I write the word gratitude and I write at least five things. A lot of times the first thing on that list is the word coffee because I just am really grateful for coffee and for that moment. But a lot of times the list goes past five things. A lot of times I have to sit there and kind of confess and repent if I don't think I have five things. And then that's when the Lord starts dealing with me. Underneath the gratitude list, I start journaling. My journaling kind of turns into praying. I do all of this in my analog journal, and I'm just giving you the full details. I do all of this in my analog journal because I've realized that I used to do my journal digitally. So I would do it in my iPad or on my laptop. And I realized that when I did that, I would start working instead of actually spending time with God. So now I do it in an analog journal. I end up praying a little bit in my journal, and then I open my iPad where I do my Bible reading. I have a small group of women that I walk with and that we do life with, and we confess to one another, and we pray for one another, and we read the Bible together. So I usually read whatever it is that we're reading. I write down a few reflections on my iPad. I look up some things in my Bible study app, 
And then I start working for the day. For me, this is what works best. I immediately look over my plan for the day. I check my team's Slack where we communicate about what's happening. I get a little bit of work out of the way done at 6.45. A new rhythm that I'm trying to do is turning on worship music and in my home while the kids start to wake up. I make sure they're up and moving. And then by about 7.20, when they're heading off for school, my morning routine is done. So mixed in from 6.45 to 7.20, I'm finishing a little bit of work, but I'm also talking to the kids. I'm making a second cup of coffee. And that's it. That's my morning routine. It's not super precious. It's not super tidy, but it's real. And it's what works for me. And for me, it's what makes me feel most awake and alive and ready for the day. You have to figure out what works for you. Here's what my nighttime routine looks like. We eat dinner on our best nights. We're at home. We eat dinner as a family. We all clean up together. After we clean up and the house is tidy, we hang out with the kids a little bit. We're really into playing cards right now. We've been playing spades. Nick and I are the best at spades. It depends on if we're playing each other, playing with the kids, who wins. You know what I'm saying? We send our kids to bed around nine. Nick takes a shower and then I take a shower and then we watch one show together. While we're watching a show together, I slather myself in coconut oil, which if you've listened to past episodes of our podcast, you know that I'm obsessed with putting on coconut oil. I actually most of the times keep coconut oil by the couch. So if you ever come over to my house and you see coconut oil by the couch, that's why, because I put it on every night while I watch TV. Nick and I watch a show. I fall asleep almost every night while we're watching the show, I go upstairs, brush my teeth, go to the bathroom. And then I usually watch about six minutes of West Wing before I fall asleep. That's it. That's my nighttime routine. It's not super precious or super spiritual, but it's what works for me. It's what helps my brain shut down. So all that being said, that is my mini sermon on rhythms. Let's dive back into our list. If you're feeling like a mess. Number four, you probably need to ask for help. This could be as simple as asking people to pray for you when you feel like a mess. This could be asking other people to lighten the load, to do some of the things that you really can't get done on your own. This could be taking turns with your friends to give each other date nights if you have small kids or if you need to help picking your kids up. This could be asking your kids or your spouse for help with laundry or your roommates. This could be asking for spiritual direction, getting a mentor, or going to therapy. Again, I cannot suggest enough listening to episode three with Kobe Campbell. You might need to get a little bit of help. I just want to tell you this quick truth about getting help. It doesn't mean you're weak. It actually means that you're humble and wise and strong. So if you're continually feeling like a mess and you're feeling like you're the only one who can sort it out, I also just want to ask you, does that sound like your father? Did he ever ask you to handle it all by yourself? I don't think he did. I think he loves when you're wise and humble and strong enough to admit that you can't do everything on your own. Lastly, number five, in the name of Jesus, if you feel like a mess, when you feel like a mess, you have to immediately capture that death speaking narrative and start to speak life. Instead of saying, hey, I'm a mess, I want you to start saying, God is not surprised by my humanity. Instead of saying like, oh, I'm such an idiot, I made a mistake. I want you to start to say, I expect God's grace to be for me. Instead of saying, I'm in over my head, I just can't handle this. I want you to start to speak truth and say, God is with me and for me. I want you to watch the casual death that you speak over yourself. Like, oh, I'm always late. I'm such a wreck, blah, blah, blah. You know me. I don't want you to talk about yourself like that anymore. 
Instead, I want you to speak truth about where God's placed you and where he's called you and what he's going to do for you and how his grace is coming toward you and how his compassion is coming toward you. And there's two major reasons I'm asking you to be so intentional about this. Number one, it's because you have the most authority to speak over your own life. And number two, other women are listening and watching and continuing the narratives that you are sharing about yourself. The women behind you are listening, the women coming before you are listening, your friends are listening, and they are going to say the same things about themselves that you allow yourself to say about yourself. So in the name of Jesus, let's start speaking life. You're not a hot mess. You're not a mess. You're a human. You are a woman. You are trying. You are learning. You haven't figured it all out yet, and you won't Ever. So in the name of Jesus, take a deep breath. Remember that you're his workmanship, you're his ambassador, you're his daughter, you are a much loved child of God. And while you wouldn't have chosen him, he moved toward you at just the right time and commissioned and called you and placed you where you're at on purpose. I want to pray for us. I want to pray for everyone who feels like a mess today. And I want to pray for our future selves for when we're going to feel like a mess. Father, thank you for your grace and your compassion. And thanks for making us with full knowledge that we'd mess up, with full knowledge that we couldn't handle it all, with full knowledge that we'd put too much on our plates. Thank you for loving us and calling us still. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would help us to know and accept and pursue and run after and proclaim the peace of Christ over our lives. That if we need to make shifts, that we would do it with wisdom and humility. But if we also just need to start speaking truth and life over how we feel and where we're at, that we do that too. We love you and we want to love you with our whole minds, with our whole mouths, and with our whole lives. Thanks for not calling us a mess. Help us to come into agreement with your truth and what you've said about us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Friends, I'm so grateful you listened to today's episode. Thanks for spending time with me. It would mean the world to me to connect with you. So you can send me a DM on Instagram at Jess A. Connolly or head to my website, JessConnolly.com for more ways to connect. If you have a minute to subscribe and leave a review of the podcast wherever you listen, it would massively help us reach more people with the good news that they can live fully awake. Let's go. Let's go.